You are listening to the weekly sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church in Canton, South Dakota. We're a church that strives to make disciples of Jesus Christ who make a difference. To learn more, visit us at cantonsdumc.org. And now, here's Pastor Clay. Our scripture this morning comes to us from the book of Ephesians in chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 1 through 10. And I read this morning from the Good News Translation, which is the same translation as your pew Bibles. So if you wanted to follow me on page 259 in your pew Bible, uh, we can read this reading together. But Paul writes to the church, In the past, you were spiritually dead because of your disobedience and sins. At that time, you followed the world's evil way. You obeyed the ruler of the spiritual powers in space, the spirit who now controls the people who disobey God. And actually, all of us were like them and lived according to our natural desires, doing whatever suited the wishes of our own bodies and minds. In our natural condition, we, like everyone else, were destined to suffer God's anger. But God's mercy is so abundant, and his love for us is so great, that while we were spiritually dead in our disobedience, he brought us to life with Christ. It is by God's grace that you have been saved. In our union with Christ Jesus, he raised us up with him to rule with him in the heavenly world. He did this to demonstrate for all time to come the extraordinary greatness of his grace and the love he showed us in Christ Jesus. For it is by God's grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not the result of your own efforts, but God's gift, so that no one can boast about it. God has made us what we are, and in our union with Christ Jesus, he has created us for a life of good deeds which he has already prepared for us to do. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you. For you, O God, are our rock, and you are our redeemer. And we give you thanks for who you are as we say together, Amen. The paper is due at the end of class. With those words, Dr. Jenny Bangson made me feel a feeling in a classroom that I had never felt before and made sure I never felt again. And the reason why I felt that way is because I had no idea what she was talking about. The paper is due at the end of class. And my only thought was, what paper? Completely missed that one. And you have to understand how rare that was because this is the kind of nerd that I am. My favorite day of any academic semester was syllabus day. And at the end of syllabus day, I sat down with all of my syllabi and a variety of color of pens and my planner, which was still on paper because elder millennial, and I wrote down in color code every single assignment for every single class and every single assignment had a different style box so that I knew the difference between the papers and the projects and the forum posts and the whatever else. No system is foolproof because I got fooled. 
Dr. Bangson said this at the start of class, and then class continued, but Dr. Bangson didn't allow laptops in class, so I just had to sit there to sit and to stew in my shame because I had no paper to turn in. And then class got over and classmate after classmate went to Dr. Bangson and handed them their papers and she said thank you and till I got there. I gave her every excuse that I could think of short of saying that my roommate ate my homework. And she said, come to my office when we're done. My brain started just spinning. Was she going to yell at me? Was she going to belittle me for my oversight? Was she going to tell me just to drop the class because there was no point in trying to even finish? This is where my brain went. She sat me down in her office and she said, You have until the end of the week to turn in the paper for partial credit. You can't get an A because you didn't turn in the paper, but you can still turn it in for partial credit. Then she said words to me that I've never forgotten as long and never will forget as long as I live, as long as you realize that this is what grace is. As long as you realize, Mr. Lundberg, that this is what grace is. You've heard me say during prayer something to the effect of, Dear God, we give you thanks today for the gift of your grace and everything that that word means to us. That's in the back of my head when I say that phrase. And I mean it every time that I say it. And the reality is, is that grace is a big word in our faith. And grace is multifaceted, and grace is vital to understanding who God is. So let me ask you this morning, what is grace? And fair play to Dr. Bangson, that definition that I experienced was only scratching the surface of what grace is. According to my pocket dictionary of theological terms, grace is a central concept of Scripture. Grace is God's loving actions towards creation and humanity in particular. Grace is the generous flow of God's love that goes from God the Father to Jesus the Christ to you and to me. Grace is God's love demonstrated to humans through God's selfless giving of Jesus so that people can enter into loving relationship with him through the Holy Spirit. This is the definition of grace. And I want to dig into that just a little bit today as we demystify this Christian jargon, this word that we hear all the time but maybe don't necessarily think that much about. Grace is a central concept to the entire testimony of Scripture. Every story in Scripture, or most stories in Scripture, the entire testimony of Scripture points to the grace of God. All the way back in the start, Genesis chapter 3, humanity falls into sin, and God doesn't give up on humanity. That's grace. 
God gives Adam and Eve consequences for their actions, but he allows them to continue to live. A little bit later in the book of Genesis, Noah and the flood happens. God's, or humanity's heart has turned so far away from God that God is just done with us. And Noah says to God, hey, don't do that yet. We can change, we can change. And God knowing all of these things, God knowing the heart of humanity, God knowing that, 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 that there was at least still good people in the world, brought a flood. And the flood subsided, and then God set a rainbow in the sky as a promise to never do that again. That's grace. A little bit later in the story of God's people, Abram and Sarai literally laughed in the face of God's plan to give them children their advanced age. And rather than moving on from them, God made true to the promise to make Abram's descendants more numerous than the stars. Moses doubted and challenged God at every step of the way, and God didn't give up on him. Israel, God's own people, forsook the covenant time after time after time, and God welcomed them back. Jesus' life. Jesus' ministry, Jesus' death and resurrection was all about grace. And the life and ministry of the disciples, and especially the Apostle Paul, was a life that was marked by grace. Paul's life and ministry and writing highlights the difference that grace makes in a person's life by showing in just stark comparison the before and after effect that grace has on our lives. In the book of Ephesians, Paul begins by naming our reality. Paul begins by saying that we have sin in our lives and that we follow after those sins and they lead us nowhere. To truly convey the depth of our sin, Paul uses two words from Greek. He uses the word hamartia and the word peripatoma. And hamartia is a word that he borrows from archery. It means to miss an intended target. And peripatoma literally means to slip and fall. Please don't peripatoma when you leave church this morning. But the central idea of sin that is conveyed in these two words, the central idea of sin is failure. We fail to miss the mark. We fail to hit the target. We fail to hold the road and make life what it is capable of becoming. No matter how good we are, no matter how much we try, no matter how hard we try to never miss our intended target of living a life pattern after the teachings of Jesus Christ, and however much we try to not slip up, we do. We fall short. We sin. We hamartia. We parapatoma. We forget to write a paper. But what Paul helps the Ephesians and what Paul helps you and I see is that all is not lost because of our sin. All is not lost because of our sin. Why? Because grace is a thing. Because grace is real. 
We do not wallow hopelessly pursuing one empty sin after another. Eventually, we awake to the reality that God is with us in the midst of all things. This is what we call a prevenient grace. A grace that is there before we need it. A grace that is there before we even recognize it. And eventually that grace continues to work in our lives and blossoms into something that is so much more. And we come to the point what's called justifying grace. What Paul says to the Ephesians, you are saved by grace through faith. It is grace that saves us. It is grace that justifies us before God as we put our faith in Jesus. And as we live from that point, as grace comes to mean more and more to us, as our faith comes to mean more and more of us, grace sanctifies us. As we grow in our outward and our inward holiness, Grace in all of its forms, grace in all of its meanings, grace is instrumental to our pathway of holiness, of how we grow in the nature of Jesus Christ and how we overcome the unholy in our lives. And I got to be completely honest with you, it is one thing to talk about grace and it is one thing to understand grace as a concept. It's another thing to believe grace. It's another thing to accept the reality that grace is for us. And that might be the thing that mystifies us the most about what grace is. I got to tell you, back in that day when I was in college and had to turn in that paper that I didn't write, I knew what grace was. I had experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I had turned my life over to Jesus' control. But even then, experiencing grace from Dr. Bengtson expanded my understanding to the point of tears in my eyes. What is it about grace that makes it so hard to believe? What is is it about grace that makes it so hard for us to believe that grace is for us? What is the source of our cynicism? Is grace just too much good news for us to handle? We are trained cynics after all. If life has taught us one thing is that there is no such thing as a free lunch. If life has taught us anything, that it's that if something seems too good to be true, like a piano in Arkansas, it's probably not true. After hearing the message of grace, we can still venture to ask, what does God really want from us? What is this going to cost us? We can hear the message of Scripture that tells of the good news of God's love that without doing anything, God loves us and by divine grace saves us through our faith. And we can think to ourselves, what's the catch? The catch is that there, there, is, that there is no catch. Grace and all that it means is offered to you and to me without price by a God that loves us that much. 
It is an act of God, and it changes everything. I like the way that Philip Yancey phrases it in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace. He writes that grace means that there is nothing that we can do to make God love us more. And grace means that there's nothing we can do to make God love us any less. Just by existing, God loves you as much as an infinite God can. And there's nothing you can do about it. And I mean that in the best way possible. Friends in Christ, may we accept God's great gift of grace in our lives. May we accept it, and may we live it, and may we share it, so that all come to know that this is what grace is. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your word and its truth in our lives, and for the way that your word tells us who we are even when we don't want to believe it, even when we can't believe it, we are your beloved. There's nothing that we've done to earn that. There's nothing that we can do to disqualify ourselves from it. We are your beloved. God, enable us to accept this reality, this truth. Enable us to live in its light and empower us to share your grace and the grace that you have taught us so that all may come to know what grace is. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church. Join us in person or online at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning for worship. And now go in peace and serve the Lord. I want to encourage you after the message to head over to our YouTube channel and click the subscribe button. Over on YouTube, you will find videos of our entire worship service, a video cast of our weekly Cut for Time conversation with Pastor Clay and Eric, songs from our praise band One Way Up, and a bunch of other great things as well. Just search for Canton United Methodist Church. It would mean a lot to have you subscribe.